I wanted the truth, but the truth wasn't, I wasn't going to get it through studying matter. I was going to get it by going inward. Mm. Hey everyone, it's Raghu back with Mind Rolling, and I'm meeting for the first time uh, somebody that I've known a lot about because we have a mutual friend uh, that uh, spoke to me so much about uh, Hamid, Hamid Ali, who goes under the name A.H. Almas with his books. And I am sure many of you, or some of you at the very least, are familiar with him through his um, beautiful uh, work under the name The Diamond Approach. Welcome, Amit. Well, good to be here with you and with everybody else. Yes. My yeah. drawing, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, just, I, I usually ask people to, so I can get some idea of how how you came up you know, from childhood into this world and uh, what are the things that really opened you up to the reality of, uh, of the truth? There is a, a dimension of truth. So, but I get to the end of the book, going through the book, right? Yeah. And there's this exceptional, I mean, you, you spell it all out, exactly what happened. Uh, when you were a student at UC Berkeley. Do right. you mind going through and telling that incredible story? Oh, about my near-death experience? Yeah. Yeah, or death experience, who knows? I'm not doing that actually for a while. Yeah, really? Well, and that was, you know, I was in graduate school in uh, UC Berkeley. So you were like early 20s, right? Yeah, I was early like 24 or something like that, 23. Mm. So it was... Late at night, a friend and I were leaving uh, uh, Stippenwolf, which is was uh, which is sort of a bar where people, you know, hippie kind of people hang out. And <laughs> so, we, what we year was out. that? Actually, I mean, because I was yeah. sixty-seven. Sixty-seven. Okay, missed it by a couple of years. I was out there. When was I out there? Actually, a year later, I was out there in yeah. Berkeley. Yeah, so, so we were crossing the streets, the San Pablo Avenue, very mm. you know, streets in Berkeley, and uh, I was ahead, and I was to, I was ahead, and he was my friend was behind me, and it was quiet, you know, it was dark and quiet, and I didn't hear anything. I something happened, and before I know it, I was looking down at body was motionless and a motorcycle that apparently had had to the body and um, I was looking down and it was a while took, that experience took a while because before they came and got me and woke me up and all that you know the emergency the ambulance so I was looking and I, I looked away and this vast black stillness. So you're yeah. out of your body. 
You're yeah. looking down I'm at your out body. of my body and out there, high up. I mean, funny what's high up would come to this bit. Right. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> you know, but I was physically high up. Right. Above and I was looking down on the body. I look down, there's the body and there's a dark street. I look away and it's just vast like like the night sky without stars. Hmm. Just luminous, self luminous, you know, stillness like this. And I look at myself and I am made out of light. I'm not, you know, a body. It wasn't the shape of the body. I was like a, a body that had uh, diamonds in it, diamonds mm. of consciousness, mm. of various colors and shapes. And it was pure, uh, pure and clean and and um, I, I don't know, I'm the first time I experienced it, you know. Mm. And you weren't, you say, you were not particularly into spirituality. Not that much, no. I mean, I read a few books here and there, but I wasn't engaged in any way. Mm. So that was sort of, and then, of course, that was the story is, and I look when I, and it was a big attraction to go to that blackness and disappear into it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just like fade away into that so blissful stillness. And then I looked down on the body, you know. The, and then I didn't make a decision. The decision came from the from the light, the, you know, like two particular diamonds shone strongly. One was pink, the other was yellow. Hmm. Pink felt like pure love. And there was pure joy. And I saw that, and that took me into the body. It was love and joy. That mm -hmm. took me to the body. And then. Why do you think that? What, what, what was that pull? I, I think it meant to me later on, it took me a while to understand it, that the love and joy is for me, partly, uh, the human being to to love and to enjoy life and to also bring them to others that become became my life work mm. I always people ask me well, where you where you here I'm increasing the joy caution to the world <laughs> yeah. I try to do that as much as I can just little drops here and there yeah since there's a lot of trouble and suffering in the world. Yeah. Mm. So you're in the hospital then. I was there, the hospital there must be some reconciliation with what happened. Where yeah, you... I, I was in the hospital. And I was there and they were giving me, you know, some wonderful medication. That <laughs> you get ecstatic. Yes. <laughs> And then there, there were shots. So they stopped giving me the shot. They started giving me a pill. And the pill didn't give me the same high. I said, I want the shot. Why don't they give me the shot? He said, no, no, you can't give you continue. You get the next. <laughs> yeah, right. But then, you know, I felt like I didn't want to stay here. I look outside, it was spring, the sunlight was outside. I wanted out. Really? And they told me it's going to take some time. I don't, but I really want to die. 
And they told me after a while, yes, we could discharge you. Said, they said, you healed much faster than we expected. Mm. So I was out, but, you know, I was still in my crutches because I was, my leg was had pins in it and had, my belly was uh, had stitches and all that. But that was sort of a kind of awakening, mm. you know. I was, in some sense, involved in in the path, but not consciously. It, it's uh, it's really, the way it manifested is that I wanted from earlier on, when I was young, I want to know what is reality, what is the truth of it. Yeah. You know, I go to religious classes, this will be about God, this or that, and I always have questions, really? God does that to people, punishes them? <laughs> it makes sense to me. Yeah. They call him the merciful and the compassionate, and then the next thing is putting people to hell. And I questioned my teacher, and they told me it's better not to ask those questions in class. <laughs> <laughs> right. We all got that. So, oh, boy. Yeah. So anyway, I chose science. I thought I wanted to know the truth of reality. I thought that, that uh, maybe that's the best way I know of. So I entered into science and became phys physics and mathematics and chemistry, what I was studying when that accident happened. And after that, a few years later, I realized when I was in um, graduate school then, and I was in Lawrence lab, you know, had an office there studying nuclear physics. Lawrence lab, yeah. Right. Yeah, no, no. and I was there at the cafeteria and uh, with all these professors, famous professors and, you know, physicists. And I looked around one time, one day, I saw, I had a vision. I saw heads with no bodies. <laughs> They're just heads floating in space. Those brilliant and no, no psychedelics involved here. Yeah, no psychedelics involved. I just saw heads with no bodies. And I said, well, that's what I'm going to be. No, that's not what I want. Since then, I lost interest in my research. I would do research. I go to my desk after that every morning. Um, half an hour after my writing, I'm asleep. <laughs> and that lasted for weeks. And then my advisor asked me, well, what's going on? I told him, I just can't do it. I'm not, I don't have that interest anymore. Mm. And that became clear. The interest was I wanted the truth, but the truth wasn't, I wasn't going to get it through studying matter. I was going to get it by going inward. Mm. Mm. That's really how my, really my turn to practice happened. Right. Um, you say here something interesting that I, around this incident and shortly after, because you um, it was a few years later you said, I recognized that what I was experiencing when I was in the hospital was basic trust. Can you talk about that? Basic trust? That, that, um, that's something that I know you know that, you know, we have worked with Ram Dass for many years up until he left and we continue now. And one of the things that I used to bring up with him and other Dharma teachers was this basic trust being the fundamental yeah. uh, platform for somebody to be able to engage going inside themselves. Is that what you were speaking to here? It is, yes. 
It is. I mean, at some point, working with students, and the way I came to it is, I recognize some of them had difficulty going inward and really uncovering what is the truth in them. And by sort of trying to find out what is it about them that's different, I recognize they are lacking in something. And that's what I saw, what were they lacking? Basic trust. I had it inherently. Mm. You know, and but those, and some people had it more than others, but those individuals had, didn't have it much, which made it difficult for them. And that then revealed what's basic, what is behind basic trust as of this loving field of, you know, free air, love that pervades all reality. And I saw that when one feels that, there's just trust and reality. Trust that whatever is going to happen is the right thing. Mm. And, um, and 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 it, it is it's connected to our spiritual nature. And uh, I and by exploring it more, I realized we're all born with it. However, it get diminished because of what happens become diminished, sort of, and get less. And so we grow up with various degrees of basic trust. But it's, it's inherent to the human soul mm. to have basic trust because its nature is pure and good and indestructible. Yeah. So inherently we have it, but it gets whittled away. But then there's a way to reconnect with it, mm. to have it develop. I love how you put it, actually, in the book. I may read. I'd like to just read a little bit. My feeling was, whatever happens, and this is all, again, in the aftermath of, of the accident and uh, um, moving out into the other realms and then somehow being pulled back in. Whatever happens is just right. And this feeling was accompanied by a sense of ease and relaxation. There was a feeling of being able to let go because of the sense that everything was being taken care of. And remember, this is despite the fact that up until then I hadn't had what people would call a spiritual experience. And that's I love that because you don't need any spiritual experience. What you just said, that inherent quality of trust, which I think you you know, we need to talk a little bit about intuition as well, that that leads, that opens the door to that trust. What uh, yeah? What are your thoughts around that intuition and? Well, you see, basic trust is really the is felt through the heart. It comes through the heart. Mm. Mm-hmm. Intuition is a way of recognizing that. In fact, I mean, many people have it. They don't know they have it. They don't know what the feeling of it, but you get get to actually feel it and recognize it. So the recognition of basic trust is is as a kind of intuition because it's not it's not in my it's not a mental recognition. Mm. You see, it, it's a mysterious kind of like the soul feeling. It's an inherent ground of recognizing, it, you know, something inherent to it. Yeah, yeah. it's funny because uh, you know one of uh, the people that we have at retreats and so on. is a very good friend of Ramdas, Roshi Joan Halifax. I'm pretty sure you know who she is. Yeah, I know, yeah. Yeah, and she would say, she would talk about 
trusting the mystery is implicit before we are able to really open uh, th- uh, the the door the doors of perception as Huxley said so yeah that that is something that people really run from yeah true and people need and basically the way I work with people that they do have it they need to recognize it and to see what limits it so that the more it increases the more it is manifest and a person is aware of it the more they're willing to dive deeper into whatever hmm. what do you uh, when you work with people and and people are say a bit stuck you know many people are stuck and cannot let go yeah. and cannot have that trust. I mean, so many people have so traumatized from an early stage of their lives. What? Uh, how do you work with people that, oh, in order tra- for them to gain that? Yeah, I mean, trauma is turning out it's a big deal for many people. Yeah, you know, I didn't know that at the beginning. Working with people, you wanted to see it, and then it became popular, you know, known in the culture. <clears throat> well, I mean, trauma is one thing which is more extreme in terms of what limitation of basic thoughts. But many things limit basic thoughts. Feeling unlovable, feeling that one is abandoned, and you know, not being paid attention to, and mm. punished, being you know, judged. All these things can make one, you know, lose some intentions with basic thoughts. So as a matter of, of, of when I work with people, you know, basic trust, it's basically, we uh, ask the person, well, do you, how much do you feel it? Do you trust. feel it? Are you aware of something like that? And they mm-hmm. say, no, and how much? I said, well, what's limiting it? What do you feel limiting it? So we find What's limiting it? What's the experience? That can bring a trauma, but brings up many things, you know, you know many life situations. Hmm. And it's better, it's basically seeing those things that limit it. You know, it's good, it's there. Something is limiting it. It's not like you, you create it, it's already there. It's, it's a matter of seeing what's in the way, what are the coverings, what are the veils. Yeah. In my experience, having that kind of awareness uh, of what covers that up for each individual to prevent that kind of opening, um, if there's awareness, it starts to burn off. Shall we say karma in in my yeah. nomenclature? Yeah, there's uh, the way I work with it is awareness and understanding. Understanding what is it that happened? How is it limiting it? A person can actually have the experience. How it is limiting? There's physical contraction. There might be heart blockage. There could be mental ideas about it. One has to be aware of all of those and recognize where they come from. I wasn't born with these things. How come mm-hmm. I have I hold on to these things? So by really recognizing, that's what I mean by understanding, by experientially recognizing these obstacles or these layers, they begin to dissolve then. 
the light of awareness and understanding, especially if there's love for the truth. Mm. Love for the truth. That's how I started. I want to know what is the truth. What is true? Is this true that I should be scared? <laughs> or where's, where does it come from? What is the truth about this fear? Mm. Yeah. yeah. That was a, a, the big thing that uh, Neem Karoli Baba, our guru, Ramdas's guru, yeah. gave Ramdas love everyone and tell the truth. Yeah. That was a constant refrain from him that we've all had to. Yeah, I, I know. I mean, I love that he's he's done that. I mean, that he was an embodiment of that kind of thing. Mm, yeah, yeah. And, and he didn't teach the usual way. He just did it. Yeah. Yep, that's for sure. So, um, did did you meet him personally? Yes, uh, when Ramdas went back to India after the first time, uh, I basically begged him because he wasn't supposed to tell anybody where Nikaroli uh-huh. Baba was or, right. or his name even. And I said, I got it. I have to. Mm-hmm. He said, all right, if you're going to India, get in touch. And he did. And I met up with him and he told me where to go. So I was very fortunate uh, along with a number of other people yeah. uh, to have that experience. And yeah, we can talk about that a little later. You have a whole chapter on grace in this book yeah. that I found. Yeah. I, I met Nikaroli Baba, but not... In India. Uh, tell me. I met him through Ramdas. Uh-huh. Did you Ramdas, you know, I wanted I wanted to talk to Ramdas, so I was talking. Uh-huh. And I said Did you see him uh, in in person or through Skype or something? Or it was Skype, yeah. He yeah. was through Skype at that time. Yeah, I wasn't there. And it would be nice so, to see him in person, but mm. we managed to do the Skype thing. Mm. I was meet, first meeting Ramdas in person because we heard of each other. And uh, and I told him, well, how do I meet uh, your guru, Neem Karoli Bal? He said, well, sometimes he's here. And he said, sometimes? I said, yeah, sometimes I feel him here. I feel connected with him. And then as we talking, both of us felt, oh, he's coming. Huh. And after a while, we could feel him. He was there. Wow. With us. And I had a good sense of, of you know, in Karoli Baba. But the yeah. interesting thing, you know, like, is what happened afterward. Oh. After, you know, it's like, you know, Ramdas basically wrote his guru, tell me, that, that's the guy I'm devoted to. Yeah. That's the one I love, who taught me love, and I got to meet him that way. And I and I have the capacity, because of my development, to freely feel. I could feel where Ramdas is, I could feel the difference mm. in his guru. And his guru was amazing power. It wasn't just love. Mm. You know, he was like a, like a pure, you know, kind of <laughs> nuclear power to him. <laughs> and uh, so after we said goodbye and uh, I was in Hawaii but in a different island there was a big island so I just came we were on Skype right after me coming back from the ocean from snorkeling so it was time for me to take a shower so I went after the, sky, the 
talking with Ram Das. I went to the shower and I was taking a shower and I felt something around me. You know, what is it? The bugs or mosquitoes or nothing. <laughs> I was everything, something all, all the way around me. And, I, and I, then at some point, I was able to see, oh, that's Babaji is wow. here with his blanket <laughs> <laughs> in the shower with me. Oh, that was sort of an interesting kind of experience. I was, I was taking a shower physically, but he was there not in a physical form. And and we sort of, we were having a good time. Taking, and I told him, you know, you, know, you don't need a, your, your your blanket. This is a shower. So <laughs> there's a blanket. I could see his naked body. Oh, for dark, God's naked sake. body. We took a shower together. And oh, then... Money. After the showers, it was interesting taking a shower with Neem Karoli Baba. <laughs> that's phenomenal. <laughs> and that, that's my meeting with him. And, and that mm. gave me the capacity to stay in touch with him. Mm. Wow. What yeah. a beautiful story, Hamid. I mean, you know, Lucian never told me that yeah, story, who's our mutual that. friend, everybody. Yeah. Thank you, Lucian, by the way. Yeah. Uh, wow. But that was an interesting thing. I, I do meet different masters mm. through their students or through their photos or something. Because that was an interesting way. I mean, that's... Uh, yeah, that's uh, typical of him. <laughs> in the shower. I mean, <laughs> I, I guess Neem Karoli Baba can do those kind of things, you know? <laughs> yeah, he can. Oh, boy. So one thing that... Uh, as I said when first introducing you, uh, that I think we need to get from you a little bit of a synopsis of the practice, the diamond approach, and uh, familiarizing everybody with what it is that uh, you have been, this is work you have done for decades, I know. Can you talk about the diamond approach a little bit and... Uh, which includes what some of what you've already been talking about, which is self-inquiry. Yeah, it is. We use meditation and chanting and all of that, the usual thing. Yeah. I learned from different teachers and lamas and all of that. But then what developed is, is really exploring our present experience, whatever it is. It's okay it's to find out where one is, where am I in? In my in my uh, inner universe, what am I experiencing? Mm. And not to take it at face value. So, how come I'm experiencing that? Mm. What is it about it that I understand, and what is it that I don't understand? If I don't understand it, how come I don't understand it? <laughs> and it is through feeling, sensing, and questioning. So as a questioning is one experience, and and as we question it, it begins to reveal other layers of itself. Because as a consciousness, all the levels are interconnected. We are a unity, you know, from the ego, self, and the mind, and thought, all the way to the soul, to the presence to the consciousness, to love, to the absolute, you know, profound nature. They're all interconnected. And so if you take anything, if you really follow it and in a in a felt way, in a heartful way, 
it will take you to what's behind, what's, what's it connected to. So that's what the inquiry is based on, is the inquiry into an experience and trusting that you don't need to do anything else. Just what we got, what we presented with, is already a message, something, saying something about reality. And by exploring it experientially, it will take us deeper, further and further. I saw that's my path, that's why how so many discoveries happened. More discoveries, <laughs> more realization, more awakening than I can count through mm -hmm. that methodology. Really? Wow. Yeah. But love is a very important part of it. Yeah. You see, that's why the book you have is about love, because it is it's like I wanna I love to know. What is it? I love to know reality. I love what is it? Is it God? Is it me? Is it the self? What is reality? Mm -hmm. See, the deep, passionate love has to be there and has to be a love wanting to know the truth irrespective of consequences. Uh, yeah, maybe parse that up a little bit. Yeah, some people want to know, but they want to know because they want to feel good and they want to have certain experience. Oh, this is not what the kind of love I'm talking about. The kind of love I'm talking about, I want to know the truth of what's happening. Not for any reason, just the truth. What is it? The facts, ma'am. Remember that one? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just fact. the facts, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're so, so just finding the truth. And the truth shows itself. Because the questioner... And the source of the truth are the same thing, two sides of the same thing. Hmm. Loving to know the truth is already the deeper love wanting to reveal its nature. Hmm. Now, this, this book, Non-Dual Love, Awakening to the Loving Nature of Reality, uh, it's got, it, it, I'll tell you what it did for me. It created a, a spacious dimension around my predilections uh, and projections of truth, reality. It created just a little, it's like a wave that opened up a door. So I appreciate it uh, wow. very much that way. Um, I'm glad to hear that, yeah. So the first line of the book basically is, is you talking about exploring the boundless dimensions um, I mean, going beyond the dimension of working with the individual soul, individual soul, I mean, our individual consciousness, that which forms our subjectivity and is the carrier and site of all of our experiences and perceptions. So, yeah, talk about that in relation to, uh, first, what, the, what these boundless dimensions represent. You see, the soul, the teaching of the soul is something I have in common with Ramdas. Uh huh. He talks about soul too, all the time. No, but your Buddhist friends don't talk about soul. You know, I'll Most, tell you. But yeah. I must say, yeah, no, they yeah. do. Of course, they don't. There's no soul. You know? in, in yeah, the because Buddha said there's no soul, no, no self, no soul. But soul is basically is like, how can experience happen? Where does it happen? Who's experiencing it? I mean, the way usually many of the Eastern teachers say this, oh, it's in the mind. 
What do you mean, mind? Whose mind? You know, there has to be an individual being experiencing. And this being is not just a body. People think it's, it's what makes us individual is the physical body. Not recognizing, yes, the physical body, but the physical body is the outer shape, the outer. Uh, in fact, the Greeks knew that already. They talk about it. Like there is an inner consciousness that imbues the body. And not only imbues it, enlivens it, gives that life. And when, when there's death, that consciousness leaves that body. And in fact, everybody knows that, it leaves the body. I mean, just like near-death experience. Who's that? Who's having the near-death experience? It's not just God, you know, and or the divine and its vastness, it's some individual. So, yeah, so so the for my path first, I learned about presence or pure consciousness in an individual way, like my presence. And then in in time, this presence showed that it is not just individual; it is everywhere, and it is the nature of everything. That's what I mean by boundless, mm -hmm. because the the nature of the soul is pure consciousness or pure awareness or pure love, whatever you call it. And, um, and exploring that and dedicating oneself to the truth, that consciousness shows itself to be, has no shape or size and no limits. Don't you think though, you know, this thing of the Buddhists, no soul, uh, or they would say Buddha mind. Yeah, you know. Um, when Ramdas used to, he would like all of a sudden he'd be talking and he'd talk about soul, and Jack Cornfield say because we always had some of his and our Buddhist friends yeah. there, and he'd look over to Jack, you know, like sorry I mentioned soul, and uh. Jack would just laugh and laugh and laugh. Jack, of course, now he talks about souls. Jack talks about loving awareness. I mean, you know, Ramdas was obviously influential. Uh, mm. But for me, there's only one thing. That's the one you know, when I met Neem Karoli Baba, one of the first things he would say to the few of these early 20s Westerners at the time, he'd go, there's only one, Subek in Hindi all one there's only one thing going on and yeah. so they have whatever you know each one of these traditions has a different way to describe that one thing right because yeah. everyone has a different penchant for being able to receive on whatever wavelength that is and i you know i think there's a great philosophical conversation to be had around the presentation of buddhist you know, no mind, Buddhist, Buddha mind, whatever. There's so many different ways that they they characterize it. And soul, it, uh, just in terms, to me, the biggest thing is the belief that that somebody, that I, right, is the soul, and that's going to migrate through, you know, incarnation to incarnation. That seems to be uh, one thing that Buddhism really gives you a better perspective on. Do you, yeah. uh, what do you think? 
Yeah, I, I, I think some of the Buddhists actually do have a concept of soul. They just don't call it soul. The Tibetans. Yeah, the Tibetans. You, know, you say the yeah. Tibetan, they talk about the subtle, clear light. And uh, it has two layers, the gross layer and the subtle layer. Mm. Say that what reincarnates. So yeah. it's an individual, subtle uh, body, you know, made out, they call it clear light. And the gross is mean it has all the karma and the issue, whatever, and the subtle level at the pure level. Mm. Uh, and they could have, that's how they explain reincarnation. Otherwise, how will you explain it, you know? So and then they don't call it soul, of course, because soul is a Western world, really. You know, and although some Indian tradition talk, do talk about soul, they do have soul. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the it's all Jiva Atman. Yeah. Right. That's, that's all, you know. Yeah. But uh, also, as Nimkarabad, there's only one. It is true. There's only one thing that expressed itself through so many. I mean, how is it going to know itself, this one thing, without manifesting individuals who can know, who yeah. can experience? In fact, that's one thing that some of the Sufis say, you know. I don't mm, know yeah. I've ever, ever heard what Ibn Arabi, one of the greatest Sufis, what he said. He said, God knows the soul as much as the soul knows God. Mm. And, and then they ask him, what do you mean? He said, well... The soul needs gods to exist because God gives it its being. However, God needs a soul for God to know what it is, to know itself, yeah. possibilities. Yeah. And the other thing, you know, we talk about philosophical, <laughs> theological, whatever it is. Yeah. Think about it this way, you know, Raghu. This fundamental one thing, consciousness or awareness or whatever. If it is just one thing, why does it have love? Why does it have compassion? What's it for? Does it need that? It's a very basic thing. There's love, there's compassion in it, there's a sense of fulfillment. What's it for? God doesn't need love, doesn't need compassion. It, it's particular beings who need it. So it's inherent. And the fundamental nature of spirit that there are beings, individual beings. The Buddha, of course, they talk about it, you know, and you have to get reincarnated until you get enlightened, or who gets enlightened? And so all of that, I mean, all these philosophies. But yeah, I guess that's enough. I don't know if I need to say more about that. Mm. Just the fact that there's love and compassion indicates there are beings who need it. Indicates why you said it in the very beginning, where, yeah. you know, after your yeah. experience and so on, uh, yeah. what else is there to do yeah. but give whatever radiance of the truth that we all may have at any one moment to others in terms of this is why we are here. You say it. Uh, you, so this book is, it, it's funny, Hamid, because, you know, preconceived notions and knowing a little bit about the diamond approach and so on. And 
And then the book is called Non-Dual Love. So, you know, I'm like non-dual, okay, I'm completely... Uh, you know, in the <laughs> dualistic mode uh, yeah. my whole life where I, you know, and not that I'm, uh, you know, I actually love Buddhist thought and Buddhist perspective. And um, I, I like, um, what do you say here? We will see that notions of surrendering, of letting go, of relaxation, and of receiving grace and blessings are some of the familiar concepts of duality very familiar, yes, Mm -hmm. uh, we draw on in an attempt to understand and approximate the experience of non-dual divine love and how it functions. Mm -hmm. There's a lot there in that one sentence, I got to say. Talk about non-dual divine love. You see, the reason I call it non-dual I call it divine love, usually. Yeah. Boundless divine love. Divine love is a dimension of love, because love has many kind of qualities, many dimensions. It's, it's a whole universe. It's not just love and that's it. There's many qualities, like this passionate love. There's melting love, right? There is appreciative love. All kinds of love. Transactional but, love. Yeah, all these things. and But, but the... Love also has dimension. One of the deeper dimensions of it, by dimension, I mean the whole universe of it, the whole ground, infinite. That's why I call boundless dimension. So, in talking with Shambhala, who published my book, yeah, we were trying to find the title for the book. And I said, well, I call it Divine Love. They said, well, Divine Love, there are many books called Divine Love. Okay, how about universal love? (laughs) There are many books. So we need to find some. (laughs) I said, well, finally I came up with non-dual love. I said, oh, that's good. That will work. I can see them saying that. Non-dual in the sense when you experience it. If you experience actually divine love, because it is everywhere, it is the nature of everything, there is no separation between one thing and another which is the very definition of non-dual. Like, between you and me, there is no separation. In the non-dual love perspective, it's like we are two waves of the same ocean. So, in that sense, non-dual. It's interesting, because somebody in the book, where was it? Somebody asking you about the reality of a being, quote-unquote, enlightened. Yeah. Their ability uh, to maintain that kind of non... I mean, if they're enlightened, there's non... Inherent in it is non... No more polarization. And But that's... They said, well, but it's not possible. They understood. Uh, It's just not possible... Uh, for a human to sustain that, and then, as, and then you, I don't even remember exactly what you said, but it tricked, it, it tripped me into back into the experience of Neem Karoli Baba, and the real. I the first thing I knew when I met him, holy shit, 
there's nobody in there the way I'm used to somebody being in there that I can have right. a transactional thing going on. Yeah. <laughs> I've never experienced anything like that. Yeah. So from from that point of view, I have to say to the, your student, yes, it is absolutely possible. Uh, I think it's very rare. They used to say to us in India, for every you know thousand saints that come out of the mountains and so on there's a hundred or ten siddhas and the siddhas in, in their nomenclature is about that being that has gone beyond polarization and there's no more me and you yeah so that i mean there are many teachings about non-dual teaching that veda vedanta yeah right they all talk about non-dual so that's and and it is these days it's popular term. You probably noticed every spiritual teacher is calling themselves non-dual teachers. Oh yeah. Oh, uh, listen, Hamid. You know, as far <laughs> as your book, they made the right decision. I'll tell you. Somebody yeah. told me, you know, of a of a major publishing house. Uh, we wanted to do a a, a book around bhakti, and uh -huh. you know, we were told, well, you know, bhakti doesn't sell very much non-dual sells really yeah well yeah yeah, yeah. That's isn't that weird is yeah even though people who don't know anything about non-dual they call themselves non-dual yeah right. <laughs> right. but it is a truth it's one level of realization even though though it's not the final level mm. it is one level of realization yeah there are yeah. deeper realizations than non-dual mm. Hey, I love this thing around uh, in the book, uh, <laughs> Jabba the Hutt. Oh, yeah. You like that, that was fun. Yeah. yeah. Talk you remember about Jabba the Hutt? Did you yeah, see yeah. The Star movie? Wars, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk about that. And actually, uh, you're actually describing an experience, um, which I wasn't totally sure because you're talking about waking up one more experience, one morning experiencing a kind of negative merging. Yeah, that I'm fascinated there. Talk about that in relation to Jabba the Hutt. Yeah, negative merging, you know, because there is what I call positive merging. Positive merging is melting and love and. Uh, mm -hmm. Melting into things, that's in that sense merging. Yeah, negative merging is the feeling of is, is the opposite of that sense of frustration and suffering that feels like you're full of fire brimstone. It's, it's the, the one of the deepest sufferings. And, and in fact, when one recognizes the nature of the ego at the core of it, there is that negative merging which is pure suffering. And the suffering is because of disconnection from mm -hmm. one's true nature, one's true spiritual nature. I mean, the, mm -hmm. I mean disconnected from the goodness, from the... Basic goodness. Uh, the basic trust and goodness and love and mm -hmm. and also beauty and uh, uh, amazing thing to be disconnected from that. That must be quite a big thing. Most people don't feel that level of suffering. It takes a lot of work, a lot of advancement on the path to recognize the suffering from just not being mm. what we truly are. Well, I don't know. I, th I think a lot of, well, I mean, people, I experience people, you know, 
come yeah. through everything we do, retreats and all that stuff. And they, um, they are aware of a deep unhappiness, a deep dissatisfaction. Yeah. And it is turning them to at least ask questions, at least look out for uh, what possibly may uh, make a difference for them. Yeah, there are many people who come to a path out of that who are aware of it. I'm talking about the whole of humanity. Mm. Most of humanity are suffering. Yeah, and but they they don't they're not aware where, why they're suffering. You see, that's why the Buddha at the beginning, if you remember, didn't want to teach. Right. His initial story after his enlightenment, he looked around, he had the ability to see and said, nobody's going to believe me. Mm. Everybody's busy, everybody's suffering. He did it. He wanted to teach that because of suffering, but people are not aware of it. They don't know. Most people don't know. It's not their fault. There's no blame. That is the nature of humanity. And that, you know, a human being, I see it as a natural stage, the ego development, the natural stage, nothing wrong. It's part of the development of the soul that it develops an ego too, so we can live in this physical world and survive and make a living and all. But, but there are other stages. This is one stage. So if we stay in that one stage, we're disconnected then from our pure loving awareness, as you call it. Yeah. yeah. That's real suffering. And of course, we can't forget that, you know, more reinforcement from the, for the reality of reincarnation. Yeah. And, and, uh, and the Jabba the Hutt, of course, you brought the Jabba the Hutt. Yeah. yeah. Jabba the Hutt is when we're not connected with uh, that inner truth, which is complete abundance. Hmm. The true inner treasure. Mm. When we we are, when we are in touch with our true nature, we feel free, feel a sense of goodness, a deep rest and stillness, a sense of richness. Mm. Like that, why? And the rich, if one one who is feeling that richness, they're naturally giving, not because they want to give. It just overflows, it shines and overflows. And when um, when one is not in touch with that, they want riches from the world. One what retreats? One wants the riches. Oh, wants the riches uh-huh. of the world. Yeah, money, fame, yeah. sex, Power. Uh, you know, comfort. That's what Jabba the Hutt is all about. <laughs> you remember Jabba the Hutt, he's this big, fat guy, he, has a, he wants everything, and he, he wants all these dancing girls, he, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he just right. insatiable lust and wanting for all these external things. Mm-hmm. And the Jabba the Hutt is, resides in the ego as one level. In fact, right. everybody got their Jabba the Hutt, which is the greed for things of the world mm. because we're not in touch with the inner riches naturally it will translate into the greed because we know at the depth we should be rich intuitively we know we should be rich but we're not rich so what do we do we have to get what we think will make us rich 
you know, more money, more possessions, more things, the latest iPhone, you know, all, all the external thing, which is what most people in the world trying to do. To, to first of all, it's needed for survival, but many human beings want more. And as you know, the billionaires want more billions. Yeah. There's no billionaire who's satisfied with their billions. Yeah, right. That's exactly. because of Jabba the Hutt. Yeah. Jabba the Hutt <laughs> needs to look further inside for inner riches. Is what he needs. The only, the only solution, the only solution for mm. otherwise we continue to be like a Jabba the Hutt. Which leads me to uh, talk about just before we have to end here. Uh, the gift of grace. Yeah. This this is elemental as far as I'm concerned, complex, and I'll I'll give you uh, one version because uh, and I've mentioned this before in this podcast many times. This particular story, Ramdas um, went uh, to see Maharaji in his room or something, and and said, "Is." karma, action, and grace the same. And Neem Karoli Baba said, Ramdas, I can't talk to you about that in public. And Ramdas came back, he reported what happened, uh -huh. and he said, I, I don't understand, it can't be, it can't be. Later in the afternoon, a devotee came, an Indian man came to Ramdas and said, Maharaji told me to tell you Ramdas and I understand each other perfectly. Okay, so he was left with it still as a hanging, you know, tab kind of a thing, believing what he believed in. Many, many years later, I was with uh, our Indian mother who was close to Neem Karoli Baba, named Sidiman, incredible uh, being in her own right. And I said, Ma, I told her this story. I said, what's, what's the truth? And she said, the truth is they are the same. But because we are so divided inside ourselves, she didn't say it in exactly those words. She said, we have to act like they are different so that we act. And I thought that, I think that jives with what you're saying in, in this chapter, does it? Yeah. You see, uh, I use a metaphor that some Sufis use, you know, because they are into love and grace. That's their teaching. Yeah, yeah. So they talk about general grace and specific grace. General grace, that's what everybody got. The fact that we exist, that we live, that we have experience. Breathe. That we breathe. Mm. That's grace. That's a gift from God that we have experienced at all. Have experienced consciousness. We can even experience more. All. So that is. So that includes the karma. Everything. The fact of our beingness. That's the general grace that everybody has. Specific grace is what most people think is grace, which is when something when you get an actual either something happened in your life that is 
a good opportunity uh, open things up for you it will be the best for you for your health for your life for your and or it appears as a spiritual uh, experience as some kind of a rain of love for instance somebody can experience like being that's one of my experiences is I experienced like I was so like mm. syrup of love it was pouring over me melting me until I all completely disappeared mm. that specific grace that's mm. not general, general grace that's mm -hmm. what most people call grace yeah. but there's a general which is what Nim Karoli Baba was saying, you know, it includes karma because the fact that we are is is actually amazing. Think about it. Mm. That we exist, we actually can experience, we can know what we experience, we can enjoy things, we can grow, we can develop. I mean, what are these things? How that happens? Yeah. yeah, it's a miracle. Yeah. yeah, and I would say the greatest grace of all is that we actually can start caring about other people, other mm -hmm. than our twenty-four-seven preoccupation with ourselves, which <laughs> I just uh, actually which is what we need these days in this world. I mean, you look at this world these days. What's happening? What's the? Why is it getting worse and worse and worse? Mm. Is is because people are not expressing their good nature? They're expressing job of the heart, you know, yes. enmity and divisions and racism and discrimination and inequality and wars and killing. I mean. I don't get it, actually. How can a human being kill another one? When you really feel your danger, it's like, what? You can only do something that makes them happy. When you just said, when you really yeah. feel your nature. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking that many of these people who are perpetuating this, these actions are not feeling that nature. They are looking, you know, as we've been describing, more power, more money. Yeah, they're disconnected people. Yeah. They're, they're suffering themselves, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even the dictators, are, they're suffering. They're, they're not having a really good time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Well, Ramdas used to say, I put Mr. Trump's picture on my puja. I said, really? That's yeah. one Because he used to do that all through decades with somebody that he couldn't get along with, shall we say, uh, yeah. morally. And I said, well, is it helping? <laughs> and he said, well, I got to the point where I can really relate with the soul, that, you know, and that soul is suffering through a really unfortunate incarnation. And that's who I'm talking to, not talking to the politician and the uh, egomaniac. I'm talking to the soul because each one of us has that within us and however covered up it may be. So, yeah. 
Yeah. Gather the heart, lives in everybody. Gather the heart, yeah. And, and listen, yeah, absolutely. recognize our good nature. With yeah. the, what the Plato called the good. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Yeah. Here it is, non-dual love. And there'll be links uh, in the show notes so you can hook up and see uh, all the other wonderful work that Hamid has done. And... Uh, I'm really happy to have met you today, Hamid. I think it's a good conversation. It might be beginning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I think. More conversation. Have. Yeah. You know, I, I like to hear more stories about Neem Karoli Baba. <laughs> uh, Yours I, is unbelievable. I, I have a deep connection since mm. I met him through Ramdas. Oh, that's amazing. I feel love and connection. Well, one, that's just yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for being here, everybody. This is Mind Rolling on Be Here Now Network. And again, you'll be able to uh, get connected, some of the different uh, the books and uh, some of the th stuff that we talked about today. And uh, yeah, we have so much more that we could go to. Hamid, we'll have to do this again sooner than later. Yeah, hopefully, you know, this discussion can do a little bit. Mm. To increase the joy caution to the world. Yeah. As they say in India, Ram Ram to that one. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, thank you again, and everybody will see you next week. Okay. Bye bye. Talking to you. Uh, yeah.